just dawned on me I didn't have my notes. Welcome everyone. Glad that you're here. Uh, If you're new uh, or haven't been here for a while, it's uh, awesome to have you here and uh, we greet you in the name of the Lord and Merry Christmas, right? And (laughs) one holiday at a time, right? It's the red flower season, that's what I call it, because I don't know what these things are called, but it's, what are they? Poinsettias, huh? Hope I don't get asked that on a spelling quiz. Um, speaking of Christmas, imagine this. I want to kind of put an idea in our mind as we get going today. And we're going to be back in uh, today. We'll be the first uh, 11 verses of first, first Corinthians. But imagine this for a second, if you will, being since it's a holiday season. Imagine your Christmas tree. Uh, now, our Christmas tree is not put up yet. It is at our place, but... Um, that was a whole other fiasco yesterday where uh, actually my wife went out and got the Christmas tree and I had to stay home and do computer work. But that being said, imagine a Christmas tree. Maybe your Christmas tree set up. And it's all decorated and all of the everything's on it, the ornaments. The, in the old days, they used to put a lot of tinsel. Remember the tinsel, you know, that thing that was forever stuck in the carpet after from, you know, the end of December all the way to like July. You know, tinsel would be around. But imagine it's all decorated up. Ornaments, tinsel, lights, the stars on the top. Now imagine in your minds that, that Christmas tree being surrounded by gifts. Now every kid's kind of coming along thinking, ha ha ha, now we're getting somewhere, right? So imagine it just being loaded up underneath all the way around, flooding out into the living room. Imagine it being loaded with gifts. And that picture in your mind real still. Now let's modify that picture in your mind for a second. Imagine that all these gifts are exactly, exactly the same size and shape. Can you imagine that? Imagine a Christmas tree. Now all these gifts, every package is identical in size and shape. Okay, got that in your mind? Now let's add to that. Imagine that those gifts that are all identical are all wrapped in identical wrapping paper. So same size, same shape, same wrapping paper, and add to the wrapping paper the same exact bows on every single gift and the same exact name tags on every single gift. Can you imagine that? Now, some of the kids are looking at me saying, oh, this sounds like a fun Christmas idea. And they're nudging mom and dad saying, let's try it, let's try it. I'm not encouraging you to try it. I just simply want to put that idea in your mind Because, to me, that seems really strange. Doesn't it seem strange? Like, wouldn't that be a weird, you know, bizarre occurrence to wake up as a young kid and you're staring at the tree all decorated up and and there's no distinction amongst the gifts. Like, there's no way to know whose would be whose or what was in each thing. And, And if you picked them up and shook them, they all sounded exactly the same. And you'll be like, what do we do? What do we do? It seems strange that all the gifts under the tree would be identical without exception. Uh, by contrast, by contrast, the picture in our minds, uh, the picture in our minds is that same tree decorated the same way, but really what we started to think about, let's go back to that, we started to think about that same tree, however you decorate it, 
But come Christmas morning, there's a variety of gifts. There's bags and there's boxes and there's long, you know, these long tubes, you know, that stand like this tall. That Everybody knows there's four cans, you know, of Pringles wrapped in that thing. It's not a map. Nobody buys maps anymore. You can look it up on the computer, right? So everybody knows there's four cans of Pringles. But there's all this variety. There's the different looks to it. There's, there's, uh, there's this and there's that and there's stuff with bows on it. That's the reflection of a personal touch of the giver. That's the personal touch of those that prepared, that took the time to, to uh, make each one special in that way. And that's the idea that I really want to plant in our minds that uh, as we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and as we look at spiritual gifts, the spiritual gifts that Paul writes about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And before we get going, I really should insert this um, idea. Uh, in our language, in the English language, and especially probably in our culture, maybe other cultures as well, we have a tendency to really use the words uh, talents and gifts or talented and gifted. We use those interchangeably. And I think we know what we're talking about. In other words, you know, he's, he's really a, you know, a talented uh, and gifted artist, or he's a, 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 you know, she's a, a talented you know, gymnast, or he's a, he's a real gifted, we would say this, he's a real gifted ball player. He's a five-tool guy, you know, and so he's going to go a long ways in his career. We know what we're talking about when we say that, when we use that, those words talented and gifted interchangeably. But there is a stark difference. There is a difference. When it comes to spiritual gifts, there's definitely a difference. I want to make sure that we start off with our definitions right. When it comes to talents or talented, we use the word talents. Uh, those are natural abilities and skills. Natural abilities and skills. Now, sometimes those don't come. You might think of you know, certain pro players or, or certain you know, famous artists or, or uh whoever is on your mind that you think is really talented in whatever area you really enjoy, you might think of them as really talented. Maybe they are. Uh, a lot of people don't realize the hundreds and hundreds of hours that goes into working in that particular trade or skill or, or profession. Um, so it's kind of a mix, really, in a sense, when we look at people that were admiring their talents, their natural abilities and skills. It's definitely there. Uh, there's definitely a bend to that, uh, but there's also probably stacked upon that a lot of hard work. Uh, by contrast, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, and this is where we really want to key in, this is what separates really this idea of talents and gifts that we use interchangeably. Spiritual gifts are this. They're the supernatural endowments from God. They're supernatural, supernaturally given by God to his people supernaturally given to God by his people. And that's the difference. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians, jump into the passage for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll read the first 11 verses and then we'll go back through them. Now concerning spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's differences of ministries, but the same Lord. 
And there's diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and to another different, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the uh, boldness in your word, the straightforward aspect of what your plan is for mankind, and we can dilute that down to really what your plan is for us. And so we thank you, Lord, for blessing your people with spiritual gifts. We thank you, Lord, that uh, your spirit leads us, that the same spirit that's in me is in all Christ's followers and the same spirit that's in all Christ's followers. Uh, we share together and we partake together in that and we're led by you in that way. And so we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. Amen. Amen. And Paul starts off in chapter 12 with diving right into answering the question, now concerning spiritual gifts. Paul's responding to the church in Corinth, asking questions. They had questions for him, as you guys have known, and I kind of keep reviewing this, kind of keep bringing it, sliding it to the front edge of the counter in a sense that, that Paul is both uh, responding to feedback that he's gotten about the church in Corinth and what they're doing and what they're doing largely wrong, and also questions that they have uh, so he's kind of working off of two letters and responding to them in that way. And so here he turns to this topic of spiritual gifts, a question that they had. There's five things to note, and um, this is gonna I'm going to move real quick for the sake of time and, and the fact that we have commune. But there's five things to note, and these five things are not small things. It's actually probably the larger part of the sermon. Five things to note as we get going. And before we get to the listing of the gifts, the word gifts here in verse 1, in the original text, uh, the word gifts does not, appear, uh, does not appear. That's why it's italicized. It's italicized in my Bible. Um, <clears throat> the word gifts is brought forward really from verse 4 in order to give context to the opening here in the passage of chapter 12. The Greek word uh, pneumakot, uh, pneumatikos, uh, that's the Greek word for spiritual, is the root word there. It's the word where we get uh, pneuma, or in other words, spirit, soul, or a driving force. In the English word, we get this word from it, pneumatics. Uh, if you've ever ran anything that's air-powered, an air wrench, an air, an, uh, you know, uh, uh, air driver, uh, anything, that's where we get the, the root word for pneumatics comes from the Greek here. Um, and, it's, and it's kind of that, they didn't know how to say air-powered, right? They didn't know how to say DeWalt. They just said pneuma. It's a driving force, the English word there, pneumatics, of course, is power from that. The Greek word for gifts is charisma, and that doesn't show up in the original language there in verse 1. I kind of blend them, put them together. Pneumatikos charisma is how they would be said together when you mention 
spiritual gifts. Actually, the word gift or gifts is mentioned 17 times in the New Testament. 17 times. The largest share of that in one setting is right here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. But four times it's mentioned on how a Christian receives spiritual gifts. So you might be asking yourself, all right, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. How, how, how do we even receive spiritual gifts? Uh, here's a list of verses that you should look up that I read through. Uh, 1, 1 Timothy 4.14 2 Timothy 1.6, 2 Corinthians 1.11, and Romans 1.11, all four passages that describe spiritual gifts being given through the laying on of hands, by prophecy, by prayer, and the importation of spiritual, uh, coming from spiritual leadership. That's how spiritual gifts in the, in the New Testament is described. That a person would be, uh, would be curious about it, and, and we invite this as leadership. We'd be curious about it. Maybe you don't know what your spiritual gifts are. You're not going to get it through a quiz or an online whatever, right? It comes from the Lord. But these passages clearly say that it comes through the Lord through uh, these various activities, laying on of hands, prophecy, prayer, and it's imparted through spiritual leadership. You can look those four verses up for yourself if you want to see that in context. Uh, Four times gifts or gift is mentioned in the context of our free gift of salvation. All of four of these are in Romans. Romans 5.15, Romans 5.16, Romans 6.23, for all have sinned. Uh, Romans 11.29, they're all passages that describe our salvation in Jesus as a free gift, same word, same Greek word, they describe our salvation in Jesus as a free gift that can't be earned or achieved. The third section, seven times, seven times the words gift or gifts is mentioned are exactly what we're studying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They're the supernatural endowments, the supernatural graces of God given out to his people. And for those, you can look at Romans 12, 6, 1 Corinthians, all of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4, 9, 28, 30, 31. And the last one there is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And all of these verses describe God's supernatural abilities at work. And they're at work edifying the body of Christ and demonstrating His power. That's in essence where the, if you want to kind of encapsulate spiritual gifts in that sense, God gives them out to His followers he gives them out to you and to me and to all believers so that the body of Christ would be edified, would be built up, would be encouraged, would be uh, grown up, would be discipled. He gives them out all that it takes for the body of Christ to thrive. God gives out through spiritual gifts. And also in the process of that, it demonstrates his power. First Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 7, there's two kind of that tag on the end, so the 16th and 17th mentioned that I have in my list anyway, both come from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 7 says Paul describes the Corinthians and he, his desire for the Corinthians church is to not miss out on any gift, right? He says, I, I don't want you to be lack in any spiritual gift. Same root word, same word of charisma. He doesn't want them to miss out on any gift. And then later in chapter 7, which we preached through oh, a month and a half ago, two months ago, Paul encourage, <clears throat> Paul's encouragement there 
is to see, for believers to see that their marital status is a gift from God. It's the same root word, charisma. So 17 times in the New Testament, gift or gifts is used. Uh, we're going to study the part about the supernatural endowment that Paul is talking about here in chapter 12. A little more to that, there's this list here in chapter 12. Paul adds to it in two other places in the Bible. In uh, Romans chapter 4, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12, you will see more listings, and there's a lot of overlap in these. And the Ephesians passage actually talks more about uh, giftings from a leadership perspective, right? That God has, has, has given to the church, apostles, pastors, teachers, so on and so forth. So, um, back to our passage here, where we haven't even got much past the first four words of verse 1. Paul says this, he says, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. Uh, <clears throat> in our English language, that ignorant sounds like a real slur. It's this word, it's unaware. Don't be unaware. Like you, 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 you need to know these things. In fact, there's three times in the New Testament that Paul uses this very phrase. He says in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, don't be ignorant of God's plan for Israel. Right? Don't be ignorant of what God's doing with his chosen people. Right? As now he's, as, as Paul's going around the, the known world there, preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles, he says, hey, let's not be ignorant, Roman church. Let's not be ignorant of what God's plan is actually for Israel in the coming days. Right? He didn't want to be unaware. Don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts, uh, 1 Corinthians 12.1. And the third one is, is don't be ignorant of the su- second coming of Jesus and eternity, and Paul mentions that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of these very, very crucial things that God is doing. So he says here with gifts, hey, don't, don't get off track. Don't be unaware of what God's plan is for his people. You need to be aware. I need a sippy cup. Okay, we're not even to verse 2 yet. Let's hustle. It's a lot to think about just in verse 1. Um, Paul has a little play on words here when he says don't be ignorant like dumb idols. Verse 2, look at verse 2 there, 1 Corinthians twelve two. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led. So a little play on words. Don't be ignorant. Don't be unaware. Uh, these dumb idols leading you away. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul is going to bracket all of what he talks about when it comes to spiritual gifts by this principle. Uh, The source behind our speech is important. That's what he's saying. The source behind our speech is important. And so he says on one hand, hey, the Holy Spirit will never, never, never contradict the truths of the Word of God. It'll never contradict the the Holy Spirit. He will never contradict the truths of the Word. He'll never contradict the Godhead in any form or fashion, right? And so the second one there is the Holy Spirit truly gives us the ability to to do three things. He truly gives us the ability to trust and to yield and to proclaim Jesus as Lord of our lives. Like if you're lifting up Jesus, that's from His ability working in and through you, right? 
And if somebody is cursing Jesus, that's not coming from the Holy Spirit. Paul boils that down real clearly. And he sets that up as kind of this bracket, so to speak, as this uh, overarching idea as he, before he gets into the gifts. There's actually one more piece. Look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries but the same Lord. There's diversities of activities but the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. It's a beautiful picture of the unity within the Trinity. Uh, this is one of a few passages where all three parts of the Godhead is brought out in a, in a context, in a passage. You have the diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. You have the diversities of ministries, but the same Lord, talking about Jesus. You have the diversity of activities, Paul says, but the same Father God. All the differences are noted highlighted and celebrated because they collectively have a purpose that's bigger than themselves. And God wants to bestow on his followers the gifts that he's purposed to use for the building of the church and to demonstrate his glory, as I said earlier. Verse 7 really uh, locks it in. The manifestation, the outworking, the outpouring, the, the, the way that it works, I like to use this phrase, how the sausage is made if you want to use that phrase, right? How it really works in tin. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, and it's given to each one, not for their personal glory and benefit and praise and honor. No, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one individually so that everybody gets a benefit, so that everybody benefits, so the whole church benefits. See, the issue in Corinth was is they were just incredibly selfish people. Uh, they really struggled to, to make the transition out of the Greek culture and the Greek worship system, which was largely, you know, all idolatry and sexual in nature. They made a hard, it was a hard transition to get out of that mentally into the truth of the Word of God. And so they struggled, and a lot of it was just so me first, me first. We talked about this last week. This me first attitude that they had uh, really kind of came out, and it came out in the issues surrounding spiritual gifts. God wants to bestow on his followers the gifts that he's purposed to use for the body, for the church, and to demonstrate in that his glory, his supremacy, and his leadership of people. All right, now for the gifts. Uh, a couple other passages I mentioned earlier is Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians 4, but we're going to stick for the sake of time just to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 8. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. I'll kind of pause there at the end of verse 10. Word of wisdom. What's a word of wisdom? It's a unique ability, and I'm, I have a lot of, <clears throat> I'm sure Kayla has it on the screen, I have a lot of scriptural references in there, but I'm not going to go and read each and every one. And uh, just uh, 
if you guys want a copy of this, you know, or whatever, I mean, these things are not sacred. They don't go in a vault. They usually, when I'm done with them, they go in the garbage because I have it on a computer. But uh, if you want to go back through and read these accounts, they're really uh, fascinating, fascinating uh, accounts and situations where God worked powerfully in the lives of his people uh, in the exercise of the gifts. The first one, the word of wisdom, it's a unique supernatural ability to speak forth the wisdom of God, especially in an important situation. Uh, a couple of examples of that is Stephen in Acts chapter 7. You know, Stephen was the, they say, the first martyr of the church. Stephen in, in Acts chapter 7 had supernatural wisdom in how to deal with the people that, were, that had him on this, you know, instant trial, you know, that they come judge, jury, and executioner. And you can read in Acts chapter 7 for yourself. Uh, but he spoke with supernatural wisdom. It's a great account and a great demonstration of the Spirit of God working in a man. Another one is uh, similar to Acts chapter 7 is the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 23. Uh, both accounts in that way, uh, men under trial, speaking forth supernatural wisdom, kind of left people standing around with their hands in their pockets not knowing what to do. Uh, the second one is the word of knowledge. It's a supernatural or unique ability to declare knowledge that could only be revealed supernaturally. As is shown by Jesus, actually, in Matthew chapter 17, uh, where this, the scenario there in Matthew 17, 24 through 27, is, is they need to pay their taxes. What, what, what do, how are we going to make this happen? And he sends them down to catch a fish, to have a coin in its mouth so that they could pay their taxes. I've often thought about that idea come tax season. Maybe we should just drop a line in the creek and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Word of knowledge came out in that. Or Paul in Acts chapter 27, uh, verses 10 and 27, thir- 23 through 26, where Paul is shipwrecked, uh, and he gives this warning to the sailors as they're sailing to Rome. He gave this warning before the storm even came, before the, before the, the uh, boat was even in peril. The Apostle Paul had this word, and he said, hey, we might want to consider this. You might want to think about doing something different. He had that word of knowledge. Uh, they didn't follow what he had to say. They all end up shipwrecked. The third gift listed here is faith. Faith. Uh, Though faith is an essential part of every Christian's life, the gift of faith is the unique ability to trust God against all circumstances. Every, this is kind of, I look at faith in, in, as far as the spiritual gift goes, I look at it as kind of the umbrella for every believer in that way. But there are some people, and you just know some, certain people, that, that have this tendency that they're just, regardless of what the circumstance is, regardless of what the scenario is, regardless of how bad it is, no matter how bad and how backed up you are in life, and if your life situation is 4th and 50, if you're a football fan, you know what I'm talking about, and you're like, there's no way we're going to get a first down. And that's that type of person. It's like, no, it's going to happen. Just relax. God's got it under control. It's supernatural faith. It really is. And it's really a gift. And we all, I hope, we all either have that or leastwise know some people uh, that have it, so that we could lean into them a little bit and draw encouragement from that. 
the unique ability to trust God against all circumstances. As um, the first half of the story that's mentioned there, Matthew 14, 22 through 33, is a person that had that, that unique ability to trust God against all circumstances. Because Peter just stepped out of the boat. He, he, he didn't like, you know, tiptoe out there. When his eyes were focused on Christ, he just bailed out and said, is that you, Lord? Boom, I'm out. I'm going. Right? And he had that supernatural, in that sense, he had that supernatural faith. As long as his eyes were on Christ, it was all good. But the minute that his eyes switched from Jesus to a circumstance, it got bad in a hurry. And if you ever, you know, anybody watch the, the show Chosen, you kind of watch what those guys wear, like, those are not light garments, you know. He's not wearing a, you know, a, a, a swimsuit that if he falls in the water, you know, no, he's wearing heavy garments, like he's going down. But on the front half of the story, Peter exercised, excuse me, supernatural faith. The next one, gifts of healings. This is God's healing power. Uh, really either given or received. It's been repeated, uh, really, it's been repeated, repeatedly documented throughout the New Testament and, and even since that. Uh, many of us here have either known somebody that's healed or been healed yourselves. Uh, we, we live in that camp. We live in that camp. We have, we have received the gift, and actually it's, this is one that's called the gifts of healings, so plural. Uh, Tammy was told when she was 19 that she'd never have kids. Boy, did God prove them wrong, right? <laughs> right? Many of you know or have been healed yourselves or know people that have been healed or have been there when people have been healed. The gifts of healings, God's healing power, the supernatural ability that God has in that moment to reverse what's wrong and make it right is a powerful thing. God wants that for His church. And, we, and if you're anything like me, you, you get a little bit tied up in knots when it comes to healing, honestly. Because we have a tendency to think, well, if God wants, gives out the gift of healing, then in every situation, all the time, and in every way, everybody should be healed, correct? Like that's how my brain kind of processes, and we know that that's not the reality. That sometimes God has bigger plans that doesn't involve somebody being healed, that doesn't ex involve somebody, you know, overcoming an ailment, a cancer, or uh, whatever it is. And we have to trust in His sovereignty in those moments that we don't understand why, why we're not, or why somebody else is not healed. It's an area that runs a lot of people off the rails in their faith. It really does. It puts people over the edge. And people have walked away from their faith. People have walked away from the relationship with the Lord. They've walked away from the church. They've walked away from their family. Uh, simply over not being able to understand why God would choose not to heal somebody and heal somebody else. So it's a, it's a tricky, delicate area. Yet we're called to, to ask God uh, to seek the Lord's healing. And we should. And we should. All right, let's move on for the sake of time. Working of miracles. 
working of miracles. Literally means acts of power. Acts of power. This describes uh, when the Holy Spirit chooses to override the laws of nature. Uh, And again, this is another thing that we see all through the Bible. Like God had specific purposes and plans to override the, the natural laws, the laws of nature. Normal physics didn't matter. They don't matter to God when He has a plan and a purpose. He just says, all right, never mind. You need a dry place to walk through? Here you go. Walk on through, dry ground. Supernaturally, God does these things. Uh, he's done it in the Old Testament. He's done it in the New Testament. I believe He still does it today. And... Uh, in spots and times where, um, you know, people need. I remember, I remember years ago, and I often wonder, I think back to this when I was preparing this. Uh, we, were, we were newly married, I believe, at least the first few years. And uh, let's just say that income-wise, things were tight. We actually divided the farm, at that time, divided the farm income three different ways. So nobody really got a very big piece of the pie, including us. It didn't take much to make Tammy and I's world go around at that time, though. And uh, I remember very specifically cutting hay one day and just seeing this massive rain cloud just coming. I thought, what is Carlson sending down from the valley now, right? Like, it's just coming out of Summit Valley. Here it comes, just gray as all, is it gray as the back of the stage. And I thought, oh, I'm just, I'm just thinking, oh, come on, Lord. I just can't afford to get this, let this hay get rained on. You ever, you ever been in that situation? A thousand times, maybe more. Ed over here, Nathan over here. I got these farmers that know exactly what I'm talking about. And I remember just saying, come on, Lord, you know, and just like not in a complaining way, but in a, like a really a, like a begging sort of a manner. Come on, Lord, I, I just can't afford to let this crop get rained on. And uh, was this a miracle? Was it just the natural way that the, uh, that the uh, weather rolls in this area? Sometimes, I don't know, I think God kind of just set it up. But what happened was is that when that rain cloud got to about Dunn Mountain, half of it split and went north, and the other half came right through here, down through Blue Creek. And I always think about that, and I thought about it while I was, while I was preparing for this, you know. Uh, is, are those little things, those little requests, you know, is it always this big, miraculous, you know, uh, baby getting saved, uh, you know, because of a hurricane, and it, you know, and the and the car got tipped over, but kind of got shoved against a tree, and so the baby was safe, even though you know you always think about those huge events. What about just the little things? You know, what about just the little things, the little miracles? In that sense, I think God's into both. To be honest with you, He overrides the laws of nature. We see that all through the Old Testament and the New, really, uh, and we will see it. In future days as well, I do want to throw that in. Uh, when I say all through the Gospels, in Jesus' time, it's actually all through the New Testament, including the end times. We will see these acts of power. The next, uh, the next several is really where the church has had a lot of problem getting along. I'll just wade right into it. And... Uh, <laughs> So the next one's the gift of prophecy, the telling forth of God's message in a particular situation. And it's always in accordance with His Word and His current, uh, the, the work that God is doing in that situation or that, that time or that uh, circumstance. Sometimes this has the character of foretelling the future, as in Acts chapter 21, 
verses 10 through 11, where Agabus is demonstrating uh, Paul's pending imprisonment. You know, he's, he's kind of, he's, he's working it out. He's playing, you know, charades. Basically, this guy Agabus is coming out. This is what's going to happen to you, Paul, you know, and he's bound himself and he's, he's carrying on in that story because that's where Paul was going. And he was given a picture of what would eventually be true for Paul. Uh, sometimes it's like that. And prophecy and reality, <clears throat> well, that, and that's a real situation, but prophecy for us, I think, becomes this kind of mystic, unsure, don't know how to deal with message. Uh, we're going to get in how to, to deal with that in a little bit. Let's move through the list. The next one is discerning of spirits, the ability to tell the difference, supernatural ability to, to tell the difference between true and false doctrine, between what is of the Holy Spirit and what isn't. We see that with Simon the Sorcerer, that story where he's trying to buy the gift of God in Acts chapter 8, 18 through 23, and uh, also in Acts 16, 16 through 18, where Paul's dealing with this girl that's possessed by an evil spirit. Both scenarios, there was this uh, quick to understand, this is where the situation is. These spirits are evil. This needs to be dealt with. You know, they didn't take these demonic spirits that this girl had or, or this other scenario and, and try to run them through some sort of a 12-step program. The Apostle Paul just called it out. He called it what it was. Let God deal with it. But there's a supernatural ability to discern spirits, a gift that God has given to His people. The next one is another one, along with prophecy, that really runs some off the rails. The gift of tongues. A personal language of prayer given by God, whereby the believer can communicate with God beyond the limits of knowledge and understanding. If you want a verse for that, it's First Corinthians 14, 14 through, and 15. So we'll be getting there in, in probably in later in January. Uh, we'll get to that chapter. Uh, the gift of tongues was really became a, a focal point for the Apostle Paul in writing to the first Corinthians. Largely because, like I mentioned earlier, that church was somewhat out of control. And we talked about that in previous messages where the, they really had an order problem. They really had a selfishness problem. And the gift of tongues then become kind of a central figure in that for the Corinthian church where there was a lot of, uh, a lot of confusion. God's not the author of confusion. Along with the gift of tongues then to keep order in the church and to make all things uh, understandable was the, the gift of interpreting tongues. The gift allows the gift of tongues to be the benefit for those other than the speaker. And they're able to hear and agree with the tongue speaker's words to God. And so one without the other in a public setting is out of order, Paul says. And we'll get into that in future messages. Um, <clears throat> that being said, I did want to say one more thing. There's an aspect of this that's not just uh, necessarily uh, speaking gibberish. If we think about the events of Pentecost, where God brought down fire where, where the uh, believers there began to immediately speak in numerous different languages. They didn't need the gift of interpretation because the people that they were speaking to were hearing 
what God was saying in their own language. The gift of interpretation there was actually uh, supernaturally put upon the, the hearer at that time. So they didn't have to guess. They didn't have to wonder. They knew exactly what was being said. They knew exactly who was being uh, proclaimed. They knew exactly who was being preached. That's kind of different, a different situation and scenario than what Paul's talking about here in, in chapter 12. All right. Staying on track. Paul concludes, he concludes this piece in 1 <coughs> Corinthians chapter 12. He concludes with these words, which is verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. One and the same Spirit works all these things out, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit is in charge of who gets what gift. That's part of the Holy Spirit's job. He, he's in charge of who gets what gift. It's not some online evaluation, some test, some quiz that determines our spiritual gifts. And it's not according to God's will. I will add to my notes this because I'm thinking about it. It's often, often the opposite of what you would think. God's pattern all through the scriptures is to take, take somebody and to put them into, to equip them and to put them into a place where they were not naturally ready to be so that His glory would be revealed in that, so that His strength would be revealed in that. Right? And the Apostle Paul says, hey, it, you know, it's because of God's lifted up because of our weaknesses, not because of our strength. He's, he's lifted up in our weakness, in our weakness. So you, you take Moses, had to lead millions of people. The guy couldn't talk. God equipped him and put him into that and gave him that supernatural ability to lead in spite of his personal struggles. So a lot of times, our, our supernatural gifts and abilities and endowments that God has given us don't always necessarily line up with our natural talents and our, our, our natural inclinations towards things. We like them to because we're comfortable there. We like them to line up that way because that makes things kind of easy. It makes, it makes ministry a lot easier when, when our natural abilities kind of, and we evaluate, let's be honest, we kind of evaluate what we get involved in based on our natural abilities, what we want to do. The question is, is how has God gifted you with supernatural gifts, and where should you be working in those? And it often seems that God has a pattern from page one to the last in the Bible that he doesn't always just line it up and make it easy. Oftentimes he will gift people in areas where he will, he will gift people. Say, I'll just use for example, he will gift people with a word of wisdom, but they're really uncomfortable talking to people. Well, how do you exercise that? How do you exercise the word of wisdom or a word of knowledge when you really just, you know, you're, you're better off just being a part of the crowd and you're, just, uh, you don't, you're not really naturally, your personality doesn't naturally line up with being involved with people and, and in that way. Well, it's something to be overcome. Something to be overcome. It's the Holy Spirit's job to dole out the gifts. You may say, 
as I was thinking about it, I'm sure many of us are thinking about it, this type of situation. Uh, what about the situation where people have been affected negatively by someone mishandling or abusing their gifts for personal gain? What about that? And a lot of people have honestly kind of backed away from, from uh, exercising their spiritual gifts because, frankly, they've been damaged. They've been hurt. They've been offended. They've been wounded. They've been ran over by somebody else mishandling their own supernatural or spiritual gift. What about those situations? How do we... Well, now I really do need a sippy cup. How do we handle, how do we deal with uh, those things, especially where we see people exercising or mishandling and abusing their gifts, exercising their gift for personal gain, whether it be financial or recognition or whatever. And uh, if you remember back, maybe some of you weren't here, so I'll just repeat it. I had a guy that was pretty influential in my life years and years ago when I was a new believer who prophesied falsely and uh, lived about eight more months after that. And I always put that connection together because <clears throat> he was unrepentant in his mishandling. Like God has a way of dealing with those things himself. And as I mentioned in that sermon, I was part of the process of confronting this guy. I was a little down the road in the Matthew 18 uh, passage of being a, uh, an extra person in the scenario. And uh, I, was in the, I was in that situation because I was there when he falsely prophesied. That, those types of things do a lot of damage. That particular situation did a lot of damage. And I can think back, and when there's a few of us here that can think back of people that their faith in the Lord really kind of, and, and, and their involvement in the church kind of went off the rails because of that mishandling. You know, how do we as a church, how do we deal with those situations? Well, first of all, uh, first of all, I would say this, that we have to be really careful. We have to be really careful not to interpret Scripture through our experiences. We have to be very careful, very diligent as Christ followers, not to interpret Scripture through our experiences. Rather, we need to understand our experiences in light of Scripture, in light of the Word of God. That's the right approach to trying to parcel some of this out. And Jesus warned against false messiahs and false prophets in Matthew 7, chapter 24, and so forth. How can we distinguish between what's true and false today? There's a lot of voices out there. Uh, there's a lot that's in front of us for information. How do we know how do we deal with either situations in our past where we've been hurt or situations in the present or in the future? How do we able to discern and distinguish these things? There's two passages I want to close with and a list of questions that we can ask. Again, if you want this list, uh, I'd be glad to give it to you. The first one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and there's three tiny verses there. Four tiny verses, actually. First Thessalonians five nineteen through 22 says this, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form 
of evil. Paul's given the Thessalonian church here this bullet point list. Boom. Here's your checklist, right? Here's your checklist. And so he says real quick, don't quench the spirit, right? Don't, don't just cover it all over, whatever your experience is. Don't, don't do that, right? Don't despise people that are, give a prophetic word. But test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. If there's a quick and easy passage that kind of says, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones, these are the four verses for that, right? When it comes to our spiritual intake, sometimes we have to do that as believers. We have to kind of eat the meat and spit out the bones. And that's part of the testing process. The second one is 1 John chapter 4, where John the Apostle says this. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. It's interesting how much uh, unity was amongst the epistle writers here. He says, But test the spirits, whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That passage kind of continues on and kind of gives a, a bit of a bleak picture uh, for what's going on. But he says, test the spirits. Test the spirits. Here's ten questions to ask when you're unsure, when I'm unsure, how to test the spirits. They go this way. Does the message exalt Christ? That's filter number one. Does the message exalt Christ? Does it accord with Scripture? Is it out here in kind of the hypothetical, ethereal land, or is it consistent with what the Word of God says? Is it consistent? Does it accord? That's that word. Is it in unity with what the Scripture says and what it teaches? The third one is, is does it build up the church? Does this gift, is the exercise of this gift, does it build up the church? The fourth one is, and this one steps on toes in our world, does it pronounce judgment on sin? Does it pronounce judgment on sin or is it turn a blind eye? Is it apathetic towards sin? Which way does it go? What's, what's behind it? Part of the evaluation process and the, the testing phase is does it pronounce judgment on sin? God will bring uh, judgment on sin sooner or later. But is it a, a message that way? Does it emphasize, number five, does it emphasize the grace of God? Is it gracious? And here's where a lot of us have probably struggled if you've been wounded in any way. You feel like, hey, this dude hasn't been or this lady hasn't been very gracious with me. Right? Does it promote God's grace? Is it healing in that way? Is it unifying in that way? Does it emphasize the grace of God, the free gift of salvation that we have, but the free gift that, of, of God in bestowing us uh, with these various gifts is the person using it or saying something or doing some are they gracious that's where a lot runs off the rails the sixth one is does it produce godly fruit does it produce spiritual fruit in a person's life is it edifying or is it confusing if the prophecy, if it's an issue of prophecy, if the prophecy involves foretelling the future, uh, pretty simple truth, does it come true? Is it true? The situation I'm referring to a few minutes ago, it wasn't true. There was no repentance for the fact that it wasn't true. But is it true? Deuteronomy talks about that. Man, hey, if a prophet false prophesies, uh, they were to be put to death in the Old Testament. There wasn't any wiggle room. His 
brothers, his Israeli brothers, would stone a false prophet with tears flowing down their cheeks because they knew that they were the hand of God administering judgment on a person that was falsely prophesying. It's not a pretty picture. But does it come true? If it doesn't come true, there's a big part of the test. It is what it is. Here's one that's a little tongue twister. Does the alleged prophet have a profit motive or a profit motive? Right? Is he motivated, is he motivated to serve the Lord with the gift of prophecy that he has in a way that's, that's uplifting God? Or is he trying to somehow pad his pocket or his uh, persona? Is he trying to build? What's, what's being built up here? The kingdom of God? Or the individual that's speaking. That's a test that we can administer when we hear things. So you have a profit motive or a profit motive. Number nine, does the alleged prophet have a godly character? There's a lot of people out there. And if, uh, you know, technology is a wonderful thing. Uh, technology has helped spread the word of God into regions and places around this globe and, 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 and reach people that, you know, the first century believers wouldn't even have dreamed of. Uh, that technology, TV, internet, whatever it is, has also, <laughs> it's also been the platform to basically a lot of these big name dudes uh, being found out, right? That they didn't have the godly character that they weren't living a repentant lifestyle, that they were living a duplicitous lifestyle that was anything but godly character, uh, except for when the red light on the video camera was on. So it's shameful in that sense. But do they have a godly character? It's a simple test that sometimes that test takes a little longer than other things. The tenth one is the accountability question to whom does the alleged prophet I would say to whoever is exercising the gift their spiritual gift to whom are they accountable and to what degree and I think that's a valuable question in this sense that we're accountable to one another we're accountable to one another the whole passage in the book of Ephesians where Paul goes into talking about you know, husbands, wife relationships, kids and parents relationships, all of that is actually prefaced with one little statement. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. Submit yourself. That's for everybody, himself included, to submit to one another. So to who is a person exercising their gift accountable? Now, rather than leave you on a real somber, <laughs> sour note, um, I would encourage us all, I think this is a, uh, a long overdue uh, that the church, a long overdue focus of the church is really to encourage people to search the Word of God, to seek the Lord, to discern uh, and understand and or receive wherever your situation is, whatever supernatural gift God has for you. As I think a lot of us, and if you're like me at all, you just kind of push it to the back burner. It's not as important as I think. It's, you know, we have systems and programs and, 
and uh, you know, ways to do stuff, that, that those supernatural gifts are not that important. And, they're not, and, and we kind of compound that with this idea that, well, I've heard stories, and I, and I experienced this, and I experienced that. Those experiences should not determine what way and how we think and how we understand this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We should be seeking God and saying, God, what, what do you have for me? You know, how, how am I learning to operate and, and exercise the gift or gifts that you've given to me? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Do I need some coaching, some discipling? Do I need, maybe a, you don't even know what your spiritual gifts are. So maybe for you it's an opportunity to start really seeking the Lord and say, All right, you know, what is it that you have for me? I think personally it's long overdue that the church really re-engaged. There was a season, I'll put it this way, there was maybe a few seasons in church history where this was a bit of a focus. And it hasn't been, I don't believe, in a big sense for the church currently. But I think it should be for this, and this is my analysis, I think it's part of the reason why as a church we're a bit weak and anemic. Because we don't understand as individuals or as groups of people necessarily how our spiritual, what our spiritual gifts are and then how they work out and who's to benefit from them. Who's to benefit from them? I think it's a great season. I think it's a great season in this season of the year that we start looking at those gifts and the variety, the variety that God talks about His gifts in His Word, looking at that variety, that they're not cookie-cutter, they're not meant to be in any way, but they are, they do have a, the same purpose, the same uh, uh, positive. They should have a, a folding in, a positive effect on the body of Christ in that way. Because they're from the same God. And if the gifts are chaotic, the world around will see the church, <laughs> they will see that as a reflection of who we serve. And our God's not chaotic at all. He's completely unified. That's why Paul starts with that very simple building block of doctrine at the beginning of the chapter so that as we get down through and as, as people would read this, they would understand, oh yeah, that's right, all this flows up through a God that's completely in unison and has purpose and intent for what he's doing with his people. Amen? Amen. David, you want to come up? Lead us in communion.